as we begin, I'm going to start out, start out just a little bit in a different way uh, than I typically or maybe ever really ha- have. Uh, but we have, I have a short video clip that we're going to just watch in just a moment. And that, that video clip is from, uh, there's a, a YouTube channel that we really like called Smarter Every Day. And I don't know if you, you know anything about this YouTube channel, but it's by a guy named Dustin. who is He's both a mechanical engineer and an aerospace engineer, and he's worked in the aerospace industry for a, a long time. But he's also a follower of Jesus Christ. And he does these wonderful videos. They're some of the most popular science videos that are on YouTube. But on the end of each video, he also puts a verse, a reference, a scripture reference. So at the end of each video, he points back to God and points back to truth and God's word. And this short little video, I'm not going to really intro it very much more than that. But in it, I want you to see there's excitement that he has as he looks at God's creation, and he's a guy who I think often he's attuned to how creation is speaking, and he's able to listen in here. So uh, I love, it's just a short video, but again, it's this passage. Uh, it's about looking at creation and seeing the handiwork of God, and I could speak all I want, but we should look a little bit and see the handiwork of God. Okay, I'm at the Exploratorium in San Francisco, and this is one of the most amazing exhibits I've ever seen. It's very simple, but it's mind-blowing. These are live chicken embryos, right? They've got them laid out here. It's basically an egg without the shell. I want you to look at this. Day one, this is when the egg is laid. Just a simple egg, nothing really special going on here. But things start to be created. That's the that's the embryo and the yolk there. This is day two. We've got more development. We've got the brain and the heart. And if we look in really close here, you can see that things kind of start to organize, right? Okay. This is the part that blows my mind. Day three to four. We start to get some actual development here, and we get a heart that pumps. So look at this. So you can't really see it. I'm gonna zoom in here. Look at that little red dot. Look really close. Can you see it? That is a heart pumping. Isn't that crazy? Let's get some magnification here. See it pumping. That's wild, okay. Now for the grand finale. This is this is something I could look at forever. Five to seven days, we start to have an actual chicken, right? You can see the backbone, the heart, the waist sack, which is interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. So here we go. Let's zoom in here. Five to seven days. Look at that. moving. So I guess the chicken, let's orient another way. Let's orient this way. Looking close. Look at that. This is one of my favorite exhibits of all time anywhere. The Exploratorium is an amazing museum. But you can see the chambers of the heart. You can see the eye. 
You can see the brain up top there. That waste sack on the bottom is something I didn't really understand. I didn't know that was a thing. Is this not incredible? You can't even see the backbone there. If you look really close, you can see the vasculature on the inside. This is really special. I love it. And I'm confident you love it too. Life is amazing. All right, so uh, just I think sometimes we just need to be awoken again to the, how amazing God's handiwork is. It's a chicken egg, and the, the, we see life in that. And I love how excited he gets about life and all that's going on in there and that he sees. And at the end, uh, if I were to play it all out, there's some credits, and then at the end he has uh, reference Psalm 139, 13 through 16 that speaks about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So we're reminded as we see that and we're reminded as this passage is going is to speak that we have a God who is not silent. We have a God who speaks. If you want to have a, a way to describe God and someone asks, who is God? Well, he is a God who speaks and he has not left himself without witness. And one of the big ways he speaks is through creation, and he speaks, and we'll see that as we walk through this passage. And we know that, too, that he is a personal God. We learned that last week. We were reminded that he's not far off. He's not aloof. But a God who comes, and he speaks, and he's revealed himself first through creation. And sometimes we call that special or, uh, general revelation because everyone can see it. And then through his word, he's revealed it, that special revelation. And then through Jesus Christ, who came, God incarnate, and lived here and spoke. And so we see that. So we're going to walk through this passage today and be reminded of these things. So let's dig into Psalm 19. We look at verses 1 through 2 as we see that creation speaks of God 24-7. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So creation, specifically here, the heavens, all of the stars and the sky and the sun and the moon and all that we see above us, uh, speaks of God and gets continually speaking, and it's the, indeed the handiwork of our God. Even at night, the moon and the stars, they just continually declare of who our God is, and they speak. There's this continual 24-7 speech of our God, of who he is, and a declaration of his glory in all of creation. So God, again, he's not left himself without witness. Uh, from the smallness of a beauty of a flower opening. Uh, some of us, are, uh, probably a couple months ago, we went up to Rabbit Mountain and we went on a hike and, and there were uh, just wildflowers everywhere. And there's just a uniqueness in each of those flowers and great cre- creativity and great beauty. And in the, that smallness, we see uh, the beauty of our God, the humility of our God. Even as we saw last week, we see that the gentleness of our God that even brings power and strength to David. We see that in the little things. And then we see in the innumerable galaxies in our universe, we can see the vastness of our God. We can see the omnipotence of our God as he just declares that throughout all of the universe. God is speaking. He's not silent from, from that little um, embryo in that, that egg. 
um, to the galaxies that are beyond what we even even know. And Siri's um, talking to me. Just a second. Let me silence her a moment. All right. And then we see that creation speaks of the glory of God. It speaks of the glory of God. And that's in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The question is sometimes, what is glory? And what is God's glory? What does that mean? In my studies, I came across a definition that was uh, better than anything I could put together on my own. And it's by Alan Ross, who is an Old Testament scholar who has a three-volume um, Psalms commentary. So he spent a lot of time, and he's a, he knows his Hebrew, and um, he's dug in. And this is his definition. He says, when the Bible uses the word glory or glorious with reference to the Lord, it's basic, it basically says that he is the most important or preeminent person in existence. And when the Bible refers to the glory of God, it is usually re- referring to all of the evidence of God's preeminence and his greatness. With creation, as here in this passage, or salvation, or a manifestation of his presence. Uh, so this is glory. It speaks of his preeminence, of his importance. And there's witness to it that we see in creation. And we see that. Also, as I was thinking about the glory of God, uh, I was reminded of a, a passage in the book of The Gentle and Lowly, that book that we gave out at Christmas uh, by Dan uh, Ortland. And if you don't have that book, we're supposed to crossway. The, the publisher has, is giving free like boxes of books to churches uh, of that book because it's just been it's an encouragement to so many. Uh, we'll have some more eventually. So if you have, didn't get one, you can get one. But he speaks about the glory of God too. And he looks to scripture and he looks to Exodus. And in Exodus 33, there's a a place where Moses, he asks to see the glory of God. He said, can I see your glory? And that's in in verse 18 and 19 there in Exodus 33. And God responds and he says, when, when Moses says, hey, show me your glory, he says, I will. I will make all my goodness pass before you. So there's a reference of glory and goodness. God's goodness is a reflection of his glory. And he he allows the goodness, all of his goodness to pass before Moses. And then when he does pass before Moses, as Moses is hiding in the cliff of a rock and he sees the backside of the glory of God, the Lord declares who he is. And just listen how he describes himself. This is in Exodus 34, 6 through 8. The Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. That's what he begins with. That's what he leads out on. God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, or maybe your translation says for thousands of generations. That steadfast love, remember that's in that hesed love that we learned about in Ruth, that royal, that loyal, stubborn, faithful love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So we see all of this that, that God brings is mercy, is grace, slow to anger, steadfast love for a thousand generations. But then also he wants to make sure that he's also a just God. He doesn't wink at sin. He's going to deal with the evil in this world. And just as we would want any judge to deal with evil in this world, he also says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children and, the ch- and the, to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped him. 
But we see there, there is a difference here. His goodness, his love, his steadfast, steadfast love will be shown for a thousand generations. But we do see his justice. But it's just to the, the third and fourth generation. So there's this vast difference. And we see the glory of God and his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And it's declared out through all of creation. C.S. Lewis said, Nature gave the word glory a meaning to me. I do not know where else I would have found it. I think that's true. All right, let's continue on. Verse 3. Creation speaks, but not without, but not with spoken words. It's not with a language that creation is speaking. Verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard, or their voice is not heard, depending on your translation there. So creation, it's always speaking. It's always speaking, but not with a verbal language and words. It's a universal communication of God and his glory that we can see as we see creation, as we hear, as we touch, as we smell and we taste. The handiwork of God continues to speak. And it is one that we need at times to be active and intentional to hear, to hear that language. And as we saw that video, I think Destin, he's one that intentionally, actively listens to the handiwork of God speaking of him. So sometimes I think it's harder now possibly um, than maybe in any time of, of the history uh, of all of mankind to listen. Because there are just so many distractions that pull us away. There's so many ways that we have to numb, to numb our senses. There's so many ways that through all of the media that we can take in and all the streaming that we can take in, that it's a marinating and mediocrity. Uh, Matt Chandler, pastor, says it that way, marinating and mediocrity. He also calls all the streaming that we could possibly intake. A, can be, it can be uh, the devil's pacifier for us as we just marinate in it. Endless amusement, but it's that which takes us away from even being able to hear and listen. I thought as a kid when we got, I had cable for a little bit um, and had that box that was that plastic box that kind of had like a wood sticker on it so it looked kind of wood and it had like 12 buttons and three little dials so you could watch 36 channels and it was really exciting. And I thought that was, but man, we've gone so much farther where there's just endless amusement in such a way that it's easy not to listen and even see the handiwork of our God. And there were seasons in my life, I feel like, even better than now, a lot better than now, where I listened and allowed creation to speak and hear our God. Let me just read. I'm going to read a couple, two or three suggestions of ways that we can listen. This is from, from an English literature professor who had been at Wheaton um, and who was an author And he wrote this as he thought about listening. At least once every day, I shall look steadily up at the sky and remember that I, a consciousness with a conscience, am on a planet traveling in space with wonderful, mysterious things above and about me. Once every day, be able to even ponder that. Another one, I shall open my eyes and ears. Once every day, I shall simply stare at a tree a flower, a cloud, or a person, I shall not then be concerned at all to ask what they are, but simply be glad that they are. 
I shall joyfully allow them the mystery of what Lewis, C.S. Lewis calls their divine, magical, terrifying, and ecstatic existence. And then one more here. Even if I turn out to be wrong, I shall bet my life on the assumption that this world is not idiotic, neither run by an absent landlord, but that today, this very day, some stroke is being added to the cosmic canvas that in due course I shall understand with joy as a stroke made by the architect who calls himself Alpha and Omega. So just a call that may we be those who actively see and look and listen for and celebrate and praise the handiwork of our God and his glory. And then verse 4 continues. So creation also, it speaks... It speaks to all people everywhere at all times. All people everywhere at all times. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So here is the truth that the heavens continue to speak at all times, at all places. The heavens have the imprint of the creator on them. I can remember 20 years back or so uh, being up at, at Bailey, Colorado at Camp Idrahaji and laying on a, a picnic table looking up at the moon and the stars at night and just being amazed by the glory. You can see them a little bit better um, up there in the, in the not as many city lights. But I could go back there again today, probably find that same picnic table and see the same moon and the same star still declaring the same things about our Creator. Or when I was in Ecuador, I could look up and see the same moon and the same stars speaking of His glory. Or when I was in China, we could look up and see the same moon and the same stars speaking of His glory and who He is. So His witness pours forth speech to all people, pointing all to God. He is not without witness, stirring hearts that they might seek after the one true Creator, God. And man, we can study the heavens for all times and still we can never reach the depths and unearth all of the mysteries of creation. They're greater than anything that we, we could ever create and they point to the one who is greater than all nature. That there's a Creator God and no one, again, no one is without witness because we all live in view of the heavens and if you want to talk with, with someone a little bit more about the heavens, Paul, Paul, he's always willing to, to talk. As, a, as all his work with satellites and in aerospace, he has a lot to share about. Just how amazing it is. Even has, as study um, has increased over the years and all that we've learned. And, and we're just not left without witness. And even those who try hard to erase God from the equation of the universe will often end up looking rather foolish. It was several weeks back... Uh, I was talking with Dylan, another one of our um, in-house scientists here. <laughs> Dylan is a, a professor of physics at, at CSU. And we were talking about how there's this idea that um, there is a fine-tuned element to our universe. And for some people, that's a problem. It could be that fine-tuned problem because they're looking at a universe that is, is fine-tuned and trying to explain how that could be. Because in our universe, there, there are fundamental constants. Um, things from the speed of light to that of the strength of, of gravity. 
and they're fine-tuned where you move one way just a little bit, or one way or one way a little bit the other, and we no longer have life on this planet. So that becomes a problem to try to find a simple explanation for the fine-tuned universe that we live in. If it, was all, if it all happened by chance, how do we come to this fine-tuned moment? And there needs to be a simple explanation to be able to explain how that could be possible if you are one who is a materialist, well, all you believe is that there's matter and there, there's no God. And it becomes a problem. So there's this fine-tuned problem that they, they run into, trying to explain a simple way of why this happens. And one of the ways that has been tried, they've tried to come up and to explain how there could be a fine-tuned universe and a simple explanation by chance how this could happen. And one of those was a pursuit of what is called supersymmetry. Now, I, I could not even possibly explain supersymmetry to you um, in, this, in this moment, nor just not because we don't have enough time, but because I couldn't explain it well, and, and Dylan could come up. But um, just, just say that this was a pursuit to, to come and explain the fine-tuned. Why is there a fine-tuned universe? Uh, how could this happen by chance? What's the simple explanation? And they were seeking this uh, idea of supersymmetry, and, and what, that was one of the major goals of the larger Hadron Collider, that particle collider in the, in the France and Switzerland border over there. And it's something that Dylan knows about. You've spent some time there, right? So he's done some, some work there. So he's not unfamiliar. And that was one of the purposes of the collider. And do you, did, did they find supersymmetry and an explanation of why the universe is fine-tuned? No, they didn't. Um, so it, it was a $9 billion project um, that fell short uh, of trying to find what it was trying to find, because it, it's just not there. You're not going to find a simple explanation for a fine-tuned universe. So they spent $9 billion trying to explain why there is such design in the universe. And today, this morning, we look at Psalm 19, and we could find a clear explanation for the design in our universe, and um, it's free. Um, now, if you want to pay me $9 billion today... Um, uh, but you see, our universe speaks of a creator that just can't be explained away. Um, and I, I read something that said, I think they're even looking to build another one that'll be like $23 billion. And I'm not sure what they're looking for in that one, but um, they, the same thing. So they may sell, so uh, Dylan had mentioned that it's actually was a rather embarrassing, um, it's a kind of an embarrassment on the scientific community, uh, a little bit of a wild goose chase, a uh, little bit of wild goose eggs on the face a bit um, with the collider. So there's no place on earth uh, or in t- the entire universe that we cannot hear God's creation speaking. And then the final bit of verse 4 through verse 6. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I went a little far, but that's okay. Um, So we see there that the author David, the psalmist, he just breaks forth in poetry. He, he can't help 
but to just sing praise. His affections are stirred. Creation stirs our affection. In normal language, uh, it's just not enough. And for me, I'm not a poet, um, but my affections have been stirred by creation. I don't think there has been a mountain that I've summited. It's been a while. I need to get it back up doing it. Where I have not been stirred to sing praise songs to God. Because they're just such beauty. And it's just stirred. It stirs our affection. Uh, Pastor John Piper said this. I believe nature is the prep school of our affections. Readying them to delight in God. Nature is the prep school of our affections. Readying them to delight in God. And I, I find this to be true. And there, has been, there have been seasons where I've sought more um, to be in creation. And those affections for God and his love and his, his grandeur has been, have been stirred in my heart. During that time of living up in the mountains. And then living in Ecuador in the mountains in Ecuador. And those were back-to-back times. Day after day, I was just amazed by creation. And I spent a whole year one time, maybe you've mentioned before, where there was an outdoor chapel area at the camp, and, and I would every day go and spend time reading and, and have my quiet time out there through all of the seasons. I would bundle up in the winter and enjoy it in the, in the fall and the spring and just sit, and I was just stirred. My affections were stirred, and I was less hurried. We need to be more silent before God, less hurried, less distracted. We need to slow down, uh, maybe even unplug and give the Lord a chance to speak. May we unplug to be able to give the Lord a chance to speak that our affections might be stirred in us. May we be like a child that goes to a science museum and is as excited as anyone in the museum about how it declares uh, the glory of our God. And then finally, uh, I'm going to move a little bit past Psalms into the New Testament. In creation, it points us to Jesus. Creation points us to Jesus. Let me just read John 1, 1 through 16 for us this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is, at, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Let's just be reminded that Jesus, He is Creator, is part of the, the triune God at the beginning of creation, created all things. And God has given witness through His creation. He's given witness through His spoken Word. We'll look at more last week. And he's given witness through Jesus Christ who came and took on flesh and lived among us. He walked among us and gave witness. The living God, creator. And we see in Jesus the authority, his authority, his saving power, his forgiving power, his truth, his grace. Grace upon grace is found in Jesus, the one who came to live the life we could not and die in our place for our sins and then rise again, the Son of God. And yet many reject him then and now. But if we reject him, where will we go? Who do we go to? We'll look, about, look at this a little bit more next week, but in John, later in John, in chapter 6, when Jesus teaches some really hard things, uh, many of the disciples leave him, and Jesus turns to the 12 in verse 67 of chapter 6. He says, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Who will we go to? Who will we go to? Who else has the words of life? C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. If we just look to ourselves, um, this is what happens. He says, for, look for yourself. Look to yourself, and you will find the law, in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, Rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him, everything else thrown in. So we're reminded, who else will we go to? Jesus has the words of eternal life. And this morning, uh, maybe you've been searching in a lot of different places for life and hope and peace. And let me just say this morning, they can be found nowhere else but Jesus Christ, who came and died for you and rose again, that you can have new life and forgiveness in Him if you trust. Turn from your sins and turn from yourself and trust in Him. And if you are a follower of Christ, Christian, this morning, I encourage you, uh, be awakened anew to the beauty of God's handiwork and how it speaks and points to Him and points us to Jesus. May we be more a little bit like Dustin in that video And we just get so excited that we just have to post a video for all to see and be reminded. May may we be reminded of this truth as he ended that video. Let me look at Psalm 39, 13. For you formed me in, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who is a personal God, that you have not left yourself without witness, but that you declare day in and day out, 24-7, of your glory to us. Lord, we thank you that you've even created the universe in such a way that we can never reach the depths of it. We can never fully explain the the design and the fine-tuned elements of this universe apart from there being a designer and a creator. We thank you for that. But may that stir our hearts to look for the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. I pray that this morning. May we be still enough to listen. May we unplug long enough to hear of your goodness and your glory. And I pray uh, that if there are any that have yet to trust and rest in Jesus Christ, may this be the day where they turn to you and trust in you and place their faith in you. I pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.